Welcome to this week's podcast from Suncoast Church. For more details, check out suncoast.org.au. We hope you enjoy this message. I am really excited about to finish uh, off this series and hearing stories, I'm telling you, like Kobe's, of, uh, and I know that's just one of so many stories of people like yourselves who are taking what you've got <laughs> and instead of looking at all the events of the world and just despairing and just freaking out, and uh, kind of quitting on the whole thing. You're deciding, how am I going to dig in? How am I going to do my part to help make a difference in the world and help change, ultimately, the world? And you are doing that. And uh, that's why this time of year, there's so, that sounded like we just talked about 20 different things we're doing through this time of year. It's because we are, and we're involved in so many areas. We think Christmas is an amazing time to leverage the good news of Jesus Christ and to do what we can to love our city. So again, Thank you. And if you are, again, as Stephen and Alison mentioned, if you're visiting or joining us for the first time, it is just an absolute delight to have you with us today. Hello, everyone online. Hello, all of my friends in quarantine at the moment down in Sydney. We love you. I hope you get out soon. Don't escape. Follow the rules. Don't escape. Um, anyways, so <clears throat> I don't know. When you think of terms, this idea of change the world, when we first wrestled with what we call this series, I felt, if I'm a bit honest, I felt a little bit... Um, I felt a little bit immature, if I don't, that might be the best term for it, because this idea to change the world, I mean, it's something you talk about when you're leaving school and the, you know, the world's your oyster and you've got stars in your eyes. I remember thinking somehow by the time I finished grade 12, I was going to be a millionaire. That came and went really quickly. I'm still wondering how that's going to happen, you know. So you have all these stars in your eyes. I'm going to make a difference in the world. And then along the line, life pushes back, right? And your expectations might lower a little. You're like, well, maybe I can't change the world. Maybe I'll, I'll settle for seeing the world, you know. Life does a great job at showing you that maybe you're not that smart or not that resource. And so, so this idea of what, you know, I want to change the world, eventually it shrinks down to I'm just happy if I can wake up in the morning and get my coffee before 9 a.m. or whatever it is, right? And so we lower expectations. But we really felt, and I, you know, I've been feeling this the whole year, and it's a bit, if I was honest, this is why we exist as a local church, is let's, let's own this, let's take this back again. This idea that we don't just let the world change around us and watch it and just sit back as observers and commentators and point out everything that's wrong with the world. As followers of Jesus, we are invited in to be active participants in changing the world for the better. And I don't want you to ever minimize the part that you play. You know, might not think that you have a great platform or the greatest giftings. Hear me. You've got to hear me. If you're at home, you've got to hear. I know John Taylor, you're lying on the beach today watching this. So I want you to hear, I just called you out. Um, but I don't want you to minimize ever the part that you play, because without your part, it would be different. It's significant. And the life that you may impact, you are changing someone's world for the better. And so I don't want us to ever minimize and lower, you know, what we're doing. It's not that important. It is super important. Because if you don't lead into this, your other option is you draw back and your world will become smaller and smaller. While the world progresses, your world gets smaller and it shrinks till it just becomes about you and your political opinions and your attitude and everything that's wrong with the world, but yet you're not contributing to it. Don't be one of those guys. You know, you didn't even... Thank you, for, thank you for being part of this journey. Now, when you hear this term, you know, let's change the world. I don't know about you, but my mind 
often goes to some major events in history that have indeed changed the world. And again, I can only really speak from you know, things that have radically affected the world. I got brought up in, so I know growing up, you know, didn't understand the whole thing, but as a child, you hear often stories about the great, you know, the great war and, and World War II, and you see images such as this, where through, through war and violence and, and, you know, people rushing to defend nations and attacking, you know, the world, the world radically changed. And I was born in the world in the aftermath of so much that happened in the 20th century, and so you'd hear about significant events. But then in more recent history, we had other events like this one here. We, you probably remember where you were when this picture was, the next picture, when the next picture was taken. You probably remember where you were. Who remembers when they first heard that or first saw that? I totally remember what happened. A neighbor called us up on the phone. Literally, our next door neighbor said, you guys might want to turn on the TV. And we turned on the TV uh, as the second plane had flown into the world. Sorry, just after the first plane had flown in. So we were watching live footage and no one knew what had happened. And we watched live as the second plane ran into it. We're like, oh, this isn't meant to happen. So, So again, an event, I think, would argue easily this was a significant event that in many ways, changed so much about the world. And then again, in more recent time, there are other traumatic events that took place that also changed the world, right? <laughs> anyway, going on, Gangnam Style for those in there, la, la, la. Hey, so, but there's the events that changed the world. Uh, I'm not going to do the dance. Quickly get that picture off before everyone's distracted. So, um, but then there's events, there's the events that then changed your world and my world. They might not be the big global events, but they're the real events that, you know, you got married. Or you got not married. <laughs> you, you became a parent. Or your kids left home. Or you finally, yeah, someone's cheering. Yes! <laughs> 45! And they did. Um, whatever it might be, right? Um, maybe for you, it's, you, know, you started your first business. Maybe for you, it's you lost your business. Whatever it is, you know, we've got our own events that are significant and they might not be these world-changing events, but they definitely changed my world. They definitely changed your world. And sometimes, sometimes those two dynamics can intermingle. Events that, and I think, you know, this year has been an example of that. It's something that the whole globe has navigated, but, you know, it's, it ha- it's had a unique expression or a personal expression in all of our lives. Um, uh, Chloe, my nana, a uh, beautiful lady, part of our church community here, um, she is 91, 91? Uh, so she was born during the Great Depression. And obviously we've heard stories about that, but even, and I'm not sure, is she here this morning? And she's not, definitely not watching online, so we're safe. So, um, so her experiences of growing up in the first 10 years of her life in the Great Depression, obviously something was an event that changed, you know, was altering the world, but, but it, it had such an imprint on her life that when I met her some, you know, 14, 15 years ago, it, is, it has still shaped much of the patterns and expectation and worldview she had on the world today. For example, a, a, tr- a special treat is, for her, would be a cooked chicken and prepared, prepared salad from Coles or Woolies for her. It's still a great treat because in the world she grew up in, you know, things were tight. That was a special treat. And even though the world, you know, progressed beyond the era of the Great Depression, it was still such a huge event that that shapes still so much of her approach to life. And that's just her story, but what about our own stories? Maybe there's been events that have taken place in your life. Maybe they're recent. Maybe they seem, might seem smaller, trivial to others, but to you, it still has dominated so much of your life that, and no matter how many years ago it was, it still shapes our life. And, and 
this is my first point of this morning, that often it's the events that we choose, not just the events that happen to us, but it's the events that we usually set our minds on that radically shape, and here's the point, how we live our lives. Events can happen to all of us, and they do, but they don't always have to shape then how you live your life. It's the events that you choose to set your minds on and to double down on and focus on that ultimately shapes on life and shapes how you live your life. And so depending on where you look and who you listen to or what you listen to, it can shape your way of life. I'm telling you, I don't know, the, the last time you decided to have a diet from the, you know, from media, from the news, it will do your soul a world of good. I just took the last week off from watching, you know, the news and television and, um, and I jumped back on this morning and guess what? It's all the same. We don't know who's the leader of the free world. Depending on who you listen to, someone's winning, someone's losing. It depends who you're listening to, right? So again, it's, it's what you choose to, events are happening, but I just decided not to set my mind on it. And I had a great five days off, feeling refreshed, happy. The world isn't that bad. <clears throat> okay. But what's important here is how you and I end up living our lives. And are you allowing an event to have too much influence in your life, more than it should? Are you setting too much of your mind on the events that have happened to you? And you know, what's remarkable is, and we'll be looking at it through this series, the first Christians, those who witnessed not only the life of Jesus, but his death and re resurrection, what caused their lives to stand out and ultimately to change the world? Wasn't that the events that happened to them were somewhat different? If they were different, they were worse than the rest of the world, but they were caught up in all the same famines and plagues and political oppression and racial tension, all the things that the world was in the, in the first century. They were going through all the same things, but what made their life radically stand out from the rest of the world is what event they allowed to define their life. And if they were here, they would tell you that their lives weren't defined by the events that happened to them, but their lives were more defined by the event that happened for them. And for them, the event that happened for them was what Jesus did for them and for us on the cross. And as much as there's still a world that had Roman oppression and there was still malnutrition was massive and there was racial and social inequalities, like all that was still huge and massive. But for the first Christians, what made them stand out is that their lives were more defined by this, this event that seemed to carry more weight than whether or not they could put food on the table that week or whether or not the Romans were oppressing them that week or whether or not they were kicked out of their local synagogue or not. For them, what happened for them? Jesus' sacrifice on the cross for their life was the event that they decided to set their minds on and that ultimately shaped, here's the point, it shaped how they lived their lives. Because it wasn't just what they believed that changed the world, it's how what they believed, it's how they acted on what they believed that caused them to change the world. So again, I want to challenge you and I this morning. <laughs> what events? Are you so focused? Are you so double downing and setting your mind on events that have happened to you? And I'm not minimizing them for one second. And some of you, are in fact, are probably in the middle of some life-altering events right now that are super painful. But as followers of Jesus, there is an event that happened for us, which forever will cast this shadow over all other evil in the world that evil has to bow its knee to. And that is ultimately the creator of heaven and earth gave up his life to let you know that your life is valuable and worth so much. It was worth dying for. And there is someone who died for you. And so irrespective of every event that could ever happen to you, there is a great event that has happened for you. So I want to ask you, what do you set your mind on? 
which is why we encourage, you know, it's not a religious thing, it's just a helpful thing. Do you daily spend time just talking to God and reading Scripture and enjoying being a follower of Jesus? You know, if you're someone here that isn't a Christian and you're exploring faith and you're curious about it, and you go, what is, you know, what does it mean to, be, to have to do a whole lot of, you have to understand, being a Christian is totally initiated by Jesus. He gave his life for us. He invited us to follow him. He invited us in as we are. So most of Christianity is us just responding to what Jesus has already done. We don't try to earn our way in. We don't have to try to work our way in. You don't become more Christian by behaving more Christian. No, no, no. It's because of what Jesus has done. And so most of Christianity is a response. That's what worship is. That's what our singing is. That's what our giving is. That's what our service is. It's a response to what God has already done for us. Now, again, the first Christians, they had a remarkable view of global events. And for them, there was an event that, as I said earlier, cast a shadow on all the other events. And if you lived again, if, and, you know, none of us ever experienced it, but if you can use your imagination, what it would have been like to live under Roman occupation and have any, a foreign influence kind of dictating so much of your life. I mean, that's a, that's a pretty big deal, right? But the first Christians, they were convinced that what happened through the life of Jesus was greater than anything else that they could experience in life. And in fact, one of Jesus' first disciples, this is their conclusion about how God viewed the world and, and, the, and their subsequent view of the world. He wrote this. This was the uh, Apostle John. And in writing about the significance of God and the events of the world, here's what he said. And this is a, a well-worn verse. It says, For God loved the world. What do you think of the world? When you look at the world and all of its problems, all of the divisions, all of the pain, when God looks at it, the first Christians, they looked at what happened on the cross and they were convinced it meant this, that God so loved the world. Not that he was angry at the world, not that he despaired about the events of the world, not that he gave up on the world. God, he loved the world. And he loved the world so much. Again, it's not just what we believe, it's what we, how we believe leads us to action. God's action in response to his love for the world is that he gave. He gave his one and only son that whoever believes in Jesus would not perish, but have eternal life. And this shaped their approach. This view of God and the world radically shaped the first Christian's approach to all the other events in the world. It wasn't that Jesus took away all the pain. It wasn't that Jesus done away with all famine and all Roman occupation, all the things that happened in the first century AD. It wasn't what Jesus took away that made the difference. It's what Jesus gave that made all the difference. And this is so important. If you're a Jesus follower here, okay, it's not our criticism of things in the world that should cause you and I to stand out. It should be what we give to the world, right, that causes us to stand out. Because that is ultimately what changes the world. Any person can criticize. Any person can judge. You don't need to believe in a God to judge and criticize the world. Anyone can do that. What makes you different is that you have the opportunity to follow in the steps of your leader, Jesus himself, God in a body. And God looked at the world. He didn't shake his fist at the world. He didn't get angry at the world. He didn't get upset because the wrong people were in political power in the world. What did he do? He said, I love the world so much. My heart breaks for the world. So I am going to give to the world. When God looked at how he could change the world, he said the best thing he could do is give. And I don't think it's any different for you and I who want to follow in his footsteps and carry on what Jesus began. Every time you choose to give, every time you choose to love, every time you choose to serve, come on, you've got to get this. You are 
changing the world. Okay? Just let it sink in for a moment. That's why we've been doing this, right? It's super simple. We've been talking about this. Who's been doing this, by the way? I know a lot of you have because I've been getting texts from you. <laughs> Discount on your giving this week. What? Anyways, it's such a joke. It's a bad one too. Um, I've received some texts at exactly the right time that I needed it. When I was having a shocker of a day and someone just messaged me saying, Oi, you're in my heart. Just praying for you. You're, you're doing awesome. Just saying, so you know, I'm grateful you're in my life. I'm like, oh. all right, all right. I won't quit, you know, or whatever it might be. There have been some people who invited me to have coffee with them. And I just felt so loved and believed in, like you could not imagine. Do you realize how incredible your invitation is to someone? Into your world, into your home, into your life? Do you realize there's a lot of lonely people? There's a lot of people who are despairing. And you, if you're a follower of Jesus, do you not realize the great gift that you have that the world needs? So that's why we say, keep investing into the people in your lives around them. Invite them into your world. Invite them to have VIP seating at our Christmas production. Invite them to a Sunday gathering, whatever it might be. These might seem small and trivial, and indeed, they could just be that, or indeed, they could be the very things that might change the world for someone. And I guess my big heart, and I'm hoping that we all leave, not only today, but this series with, and it hopefully walk in our life, is that there is plenty in the world to look at that could get us discouraged, could get us down, and I'm with you in that. So we've got to find something real that we can dig our teeth into, get a handle on to go, well, what, what can I do to stay off this sense of, well, the world is broken and there's so much battle. What, what can we do about that? You know, how, how can I keep engaging in the world and not lose confidence, not lose hope? And what does my Christian faith have to say about this? And to within that world where it's easy to live with fear, anxiety, or even worse, to be self-centered, or even worse beyond that, it's to live as if Christ never died for you. The Apostle Paul spoke directly into Christians who lived within the middle of a world that was dominated by Rome, that was dominated by paganism, that was dominated by injustice. And I want to look at one verse that I touched on a couple of weeks ago, but I want to pack it apart for these next couple of minutes. And the Apostle Paul wrote, <coughs> excuse me, to Christians who were in Philippi. And um, to give context of what Philippi was like, the dynamic, Philippi was known as, a, well, it was a Roman colony. And this is significant because as much as there was a whole empire and there were, there were citizens all over, you know, Roman citizens all over the empire, a colony was set up to be like a mini Rome. And so it's in its values, in its ethos, in its culture, uh, in its practices, in its people. And so what would happen is, because Caesar wouldn't want all of these retired generals who had a lot of people, you know, that would still follow them hanging around and retiring in Rome, he would send them to their colonies so they can help bring Rome to these colonies. And so Philippi was a Roman colony. And to within that context, there were Christians who were building a church right there in Philippi. And here's where we pick up the Apostle Paul's encouragement to them. This is in Philippians chapter 3. He says to them, join together in following, in following my example, brothers and sisters. And just as, if you, just as you have asked me to him and the other apostles, just as you have asked as a model, keep your eyes. Remember I talked about what you set your eyes on? He says, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. 
Now, the reason this is important, why I want to pause here for a second, is because at this point, there was no New Testament. <laughs> there was no Bible as we have a Bible today. That was obviously still writing it. And so where we might talk today and try and you know, have our argument or have our positions on things of the world and say, well, your argument might begin with, you know, this is wrong with the world. And someone goes, why is it wrong? And you might start with the line, well, the Bible says. They didn't have the luxury of saying the Bible says in the first century, right? What they had was their personal example. They saw the example of Christ and his teaching. And so the apostle said, we're just going to follow his example. So the apostle Paul, he was like a, he was the living. He was like a living embodiment of this, right? So all he could say was not you know, the Bible says to do this. He said, you've got to follow, you've got to follow my example. In fact, another one of his letters to the Corinthians, he said to them, imitate me as I imitate Christ. So he's saying, I'm just copying what we saw in Jesus, so you copy our example. Now, we have the luxury of having like, you know, the Bible now, and we can refer to passages and chapters and verses and all these things. But still, there is no better argument for anything in the world, not than pointing to what the Bible says, but how you're living out what the Bible teaches right? Is your life a living example of being a Christian? So for the Apostle Paul, he said, I don't have any Bible to show you. We can't do a Bible study right now because there's no Bible to study. He says, but study my life. And so the best argument for how to change the world, they started living it. They would say to the community around them, to those in Philippi, their sermons to the world wasn't a great preach and an exegesis from five different biblical sources in one sermon. They would stand up and say, look at our lives. Watch how we live. Watch how I treat my spouse. Watch how I treat children. Watch how we treat the unborn. Watch how we treat the elderly. Our lives, how we live, how we give, how we serve, how we value humans. This will be to you an example of the change that Jesus Christ brings to the world. They would say, look at our lives. They wouldn't point to chapter and verse. They would say, look. And let me tell you, before anyone ever opens a Bible in your neighborhood or the people you work with, are they reading it in your life? <laughs> John O's on one of those ones today. Okay. For Christians, our greatest witness, the way you and I shine our lives, is how we live. And I'm super challenged by that thought. And I'm super challenged by this idea that if people saw how I lived, would they still listen to what I have to say? What about you? Right? Could we carry this great message? And come on, all these hate hypocrites. We hate it with every fiber of our, this idea of being hypocritical. And often why the Christian message, and if you're not a Christian here, you'd be nodding your head. You, you, you probably want to say that Christian word. Hey Amen, this is good stuff. Because sometimes the biggest impediment for people embracing the Christian message has been the Christian messengers. And there's been an indiscrepancy between. Now, don't get me wrong. And I'm not trying to, we just finished a series book called Guilt Free. So I'm not trying to throw guilt on us. Right? This is a challenge to go, okay, we're not trying to, okay. Sometimes our bad example is a good example. What I mean by that is, someone goes, aren't you a Christian? Yeah, well, why are you doing that? Oh, no, that's why I'm a Christian. It's because I do that. You know, I'm messed up. I need Jesus. My life is broken. Christians aren't perfect. We just recognize we're not. That's why we follow Jesus, because we need Him. 
So even in your, I'm not trying to say, so what I am saying is, is your life still pointing to the fact that you've put your trust in someone greater and your hope is in the one who gave his life for you. So I want to encourage you, if people saw how you lived, would they still listen to what you've got to say? How we live our lives is super important. <laughs> in my final semester when I was in university, you know, in the olden days, there was a... <laughs> it was. It was. <laughs> to my daughter it is, so... Uh, and I was in a... I, hand on heart, I can't remember exactly what the subject was. There's something to do with communication. And so for the last assessment, we got to talk, do whatever we want. We had to do a public presentation, you know, sharing something that was provocative and entertaining and insightful and educational, all those things. So I picked a real, I wanted to like, be, I wanted to really, you know, get everyone's attention, do something a bit provocative. So I did a talk on the myth of safe sex. Yeah, got your attention now. Because this idea that, hey, if, you know, if we're using, you know, if we're using safe sex, and then, you know, we won't get an STI and all that stuff. But the science for that is just ridiculous. So I was like, I'm going to freak everyone out and tell them that just because, you know, you're wearing an umbrella, it doesn't mean that you're going to, you're safe. So, so I did, I'm just, I'm trying to be, I'm trying to be not crass. So this is, so, so I did this talk and it went for about 15 minutes. It was very graphic, um, very confrontational. Um, but I topped the whole, I topped the whole course. I got HD, topped the whole course in it, right? So I did something right in it. And I remember this one guy, like all these people come up to me afterwards and go, man, that was like a, Wow, that was really that was really insightful, you know. Can't unsee that. Um, and then one guy came up to me, who would have been in his forties at the time, and said, "Wish I heard that twenty years ago." You know. I'm like, Whoa. Anyways, because I topped the class, I'm going somewhere with this. I'm not. I'm really not trying to be. I'm just giving you the story that happened. And so, um, t- they chose and all the tutes to pick my talk as like the the one talk to like dissect and talk about. Well, what what was good? Why did it work? You know. Why was it engaging all that stuff? And so I'm obviously sitting in my class hearing people talk about, you know, the talk I did and what they did like and didn't like. And one guy goes, one guy goes, oh, when you started with what the theme was, you know, the myth of safe sex, I'm like, here we go. I bet you this guy's one of these Christian dudes that's waiting till marriage and like, oh, this is great. He goes, oh, but then I realized you weren't one of those guys. Thank goodness. And I'm like, uh, uh. And then the, then the, the, my, the tutor, who was also the lecturer, goes, Chono, ha, him, one of those. Yeah, right. I've seen Harry carries himself around the campus. He's definitely not one of those guys. I'm like, I don't know if this is a good thing or a bad thing right now. Like, because I'm really relatable or like, and I feel like, no, no, I am one of those dudes. I'm actually waiting till marriage, you know. Oh, but you don't do that at uni. You know? Anyways, so again, if people saw how they live, would they, well, there you go. I don't know if that illustrates my point or confuses the point, but. Okay, we're going to keep going. So, next verse. Back to Bible. So it goes on. It says, For as I've often told you before, and now I tell you again with tears. This is an interesting statement. He says, Many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Now, he's talking about other Christian here, other Jesus followers. And he wasn't saying they are enemies of the cross of Christ. He's saying they're living. They're living like they're enemies of the cross of Christ. In other words, he's saying they're living as if that never happened. Like these Jesus followers, but how they're now outworking their life, they're living as if there isn't this great thing that has happened for them. Now, are you familiar with the term 
you know, you've ever heard the term before about being your own worst enemy. You ever heard that before? And how often, you know, we, it can be a, maybe our own self-destructive behavior and we can become, you know, the cause of most of our problems. And then there's like no one to blame other than ourselves, right? You've been, you've been your own worst enemy. You can't blame anyone else. But one of the big problems even with that is how quick we are to point blame whenever there's something wrong with the world, right? When there's major problems, when there's small problems, we are so quick to shoot blame and to blame others and to blame my parents or to blame my upbringing or to blame the government or to blame the Greens or to blame the Liberals. Or, you know, we, we, love, we love to shoot blame, right? And whenever there's something wrong, whether it's in our own lives or with the world, you feel so much better for shifting blame. You, you feel so much better. But isn't this true? Throwing blame rarely leads to change. Think about it in your own life. Try that in a marriage. If you want positive change in marriage, just try blaming one another. I'm sure that's going to go so good, you know. Of course it doesn't. You know it doesn't. You've, you've lived long enough to know that. But there can be often this temptation. We just want to blame for all the problems in the world. And the Apostle Paul refers to people like that as they're living as like enemies of, of the cross. Every time you, you blame something else in the world for what's wrong with the world, you're giving it power. You're giving it authority. Saying, well, you, you know, what you've done, it's having such a big influence on my life. He's like, you are now giving that more weight to what Jesus has done for you on the cross. You're living as though you're like, you're not an enemy, but you're living as though you're an enemy of the cross. Do you not realize that the good God has done for you on the cross far outweighs the evil anyone else could do to you? Do you not realize that? Do you not realize there is this incredible light that is now cast over all the darkness of the world because of what has happened through Jesus Christ on the cross? So I want to encourage you as well today. Let's not settle for blaming to just shift. And of course, the people have been responsible for stuff. And of course, I'm not saying we shouldn't hold people account to when they've done wrong. I'm not saying that at all. But I am saying this, shifting blame will go nowhere near the same way of bringing change into your life and ultimately change in the world than it is in recognizing what has happened for the world and for us through what Jesus has done on the cross. So don't be an enemy of the cross of Christ. And then he goes on and he says this, um, you know, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach and their glory is their shame. They, their mind, remember we talked about what you set your mind on. He said their mind is set on earthly things, earthly things. And he stole this term earthly, arguably from the brother of Jesus named James, who referred to earthly things as those that are, um, it's like uh, um, um, envy and self, uh, how did he put it? Envy and selfish ambition. Essentially, when you become the center of your world, it's like you become focused on things that are earthly. And the actual definition of earthly here is something that is inferior when in contrast to heavenly or divine things, which is exactly how Paul finishes what he's writing here. So he's talking about people who live as enemies of the cross of Christ, who aren't following their example, whose minds are set on earthly things, and this is how he brings it home. He says, but, but our citizenship is in heaven, in heaven. Now again, to reference what was happening in Philippi, he draws this idea of citizenship because in Philippi, all the locals there were aware, being a Roman colony, it was filled with Roman citizens everywhere. And the goal of being a Roman citizen, okay, the goal of being a Roman citizen, wasn't that one day you'd be able to re retire back in Rome. It was the opposite. When you were a Roman citizen and you were sent somewhere, you were sent with a mission. You were sent to bring the values of Rome, in this case, to Philippi, to bring the ideas of Rome to Philippi, to bring the culture of Rome to Philippi, to bring the worldview of Rome to, 
Philippi. You're seeing this pattern, right? And so the Apostle Paul leans into this illustration and says, in like manner, don't set your mind on earthly things. Don't just be like everyone else in Philippi. Do you not realize you are a citizen of heaven? Your citizenship is in heaven. It's so much bigger than being a citizen of Rome. Your citizenship is in heaven. Now, a wrong understanding of this has often led Christians over the years, me included, to thinking what he's saying here is that your true home one day is not here, it's away. And so the goal of being a Christian, of being a citizen of heaven, is one day I'll get to go to heaven and leave all the problems of the world behind me. Thank goodness I cannot wait to get off this rock. This rock is so lost. I'm out of here. It's actually the opposite, literally the opposite, <coughs> excuse me, of what the Apostle Paul is saying. He, he's saying, listen, you're a citizen of heaven, which means you are here to bring the values of your heavenly Father to earth. You are here to represent Jesus on earth. You're here to bring the love of God that He began through Jesus on the cross. You're here to continue that here. <coughs> Excuse me. On, I might need a cup of water. There's one under my desk there, under my chair. Sorry. Thank you, mate. Oh, I wish I finished that sentence. Everyone would be clapping right now. It'd be a good segue, but no one's clapping. So. <laughs> okay. I've got to finish in two minutes. Um, you have to understand, the ultimate goal, the ultimate goal of our faith is not to get from earth to heaven, but it's to be part of getting heaven to earth. Okay. I know you guys get that. You're awesome. <clears throat> and look, this is more than rhetoric. First followers of Jesus, they insisted that it was a bodily resurrection of Jesus. It was bodily. It was physical. You could see him and touch him and hear him. It wasn't some quasi-spiritual resurrection where we're all just like, yeah, I'm spiritual now. I get spiritually resurrected. No. They said they laid their life down because they saw a dead man come back to life. And so for them, for them, a Savior that you could touch and feel and hear and see and smell, right? That's how the kingdom of heaven came to earth. It was in real life, flesh and blood, action. And it hasn't stopped. We don't get to carry that on. We get to continue what began with the cross. And so every time you choose to love the world, you are carrying on what began with the cross. Every time you choose to serve, you are carrying on what began with the cross, okay? Every time you choose to love and to give, right? Because it's real. It's tactile. It's, it's not just a spiritual, I'm going to pray for you. No, no, no. We've got to get it and change the world. We've got to let our lives lead by example and be this positive impact that began with Jesus Christ. This, that's why our church mission isn't just to be some little enclave away where Christians come and sing Kumbaya and pat ourselves on the back to some morally elite group of insiders. No one sings Kumbaya. If you go sing Kumbaya, please. Anyway, go for it. But the point is, we have, we have a mission. Being the church of Jesus Christ doesn't mean we're called out to be rescued from the world. We're called out to be a light to the world, right? There's a huge difference with that. Okay. <laughs> Any fin I'll finish on this because he finishes with this. And I can point to the Bible now because we live in 2020. <clears throat> he says, but our citizenship is in heaven. And I love this. And we, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. We eagerly await <laughs> the Christian hope and promise is that one day he's coming back to 
it sounds crazy, but it began with something crazy. Dead guy coming back to life. It's been changing the world ever since. And this message has turned my life around. Maybe it's turned yours around. Maybe it's yet to. But we now get to eagerly await when one day He will return and He will make all things new. And while we wait, the term here, eagerly. It's not a passive, (laughs) timid, let's retreat, kind of waiting, impatient. It's active. It's an eager. It's a passionate. It's while I wait. My waiting is going to be imitating how this whole thing began. Through loving the world, through reminding people that God is for them and God has given His life for you and that you are loved and you are valued. And while we wait for the story to conclude with the great return of the Saviour of the world, we are going to be investing into the world. We're going to be loving the world. We're going to be following the example of the one who started this all. We're going to be loving the downcast. We're going to be loving the downtrodden. We're going to be giving. It's active. (laughs) When Chloe and I were engaged, I was eagerly awaiting getting married, eagerly awaiting. I was so eager that it was seen in my lifestyle. It wasn't an impatient, eagerly waiting. It was a, I'm going to honour this girl with my life, eagerly waiting. I'm going to honour the fact she's a daughter of God. I'm going to honour the fact that we've made a promise to keep ourselves to marriage. I'm going to honour the fact that she's not yet mine. I'm going to honour the fact that her parents have raised her. I'm going to honour the fact that she has her own will and she has her own calling. I just It was an eager waiting to marry this girl. It was eager and it was seen in best attempt of how I live my life. And so I want to encourage you, whenever you're low about the world and whenever you see the problems of the world and people get into power that you don't like or events happen that you don't agree with, or whenever, whenever you, the world gets overwhelming for you, I want you to look at this. Hang on a second. My citizenship in heaven. So what does that look like? It means I now need to eagerly await. Governments are never going to solve the problems we're looking for, right? Uh, the, the solutions we're after. No celebrity, no leader, no one you elect. You know that. You know that. No pastor, no preacher, no millionaire, no vaccine. I'm telling you, what we're really waiting for is all things to become new again. And that is promised in Jesus. So until that time, don't expect anything else in the world to give us what only Jesus promises. So we get to eagerly await. Let's eagerly await. Thank you so much, God, that you love us in the middle of all of our flaws and impatience, in the brokenness that is in our lives and the brokenness that's in the world. Thank you for not giving up on us. Thank you for not throwing in the towel. Thank you for going all in. Help us to live this out. Help us to be great stewards of the message of the cross of Jesus. I pray particularly for those this morning that have never known it personally, whose lives have been lived according to their own ways and have never known that there is a higher way, a better way, a more lasting way. May they know Jesus today. May those watching online this morning, wherever they find themselves, be encouraged that you're for them. And may we, may we, as Suncoast Church, as 
followers of Jesus embrace this mission to eagerly await as citizens of heaven. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. We hope you are truly blessed by what you heard. For more details, check out suncoast.org.au.